All right. How y'all doing? Everybody good? We're continuing a series of messages we started last week called You Asked For It. And I gave you a little preview of what we're going to talk about last week. Uh, and I, let me tell you something. All last week, it turned it up just about every night. I had, had people come up to me saying, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say Sunday. I got an idea what you're going to say. I want to see if I'm right. I can't wait to find out what you're going to say Sunday. Today, <clears throat> what we're going to talk about, just real, real uh, easy, I'm going to take a drink as I say this. This is water, though. Today, we're going to talk about, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Now, I don't know how you were raised, what kind of church background you have, but depending on your church background, you have heard different things about this. This is what some people would call a controversial subject, but it's really only controversial in certain parts of the country. Down here in the South, it would be to talk about Christians drinking alcohol. Maybe in the Midwest, it might be. Um, But even that depends on how you were raised. Uh, I was raised uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist, hardcore Southern Baptist. My granddaddy was a Southern Baptist. My daddy was a Southern Baptist deacon. I was raised Southern Baptist. That's how. That's all I've ever known was Southern Baptist. And and so when when you're raised in the Baptist church, um, the deal is is that nobody drinks. Well, here's the thing: nobody drinks publicly, right? You know the old joke about you know why you take two Baptists fishing with you? Because if you only take one, he'll drink up all your beer. Or or the fact that that uh. Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, Protestants don't recognize the Pope as head of the church, and Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. (laughs) Or the best one is that, you know, the real reason why Baptists are against drinking alcohol is they're afraid it'll lead to dancing. That's the real reason why. (laughs) Because if you were raised in a Baptist church, you knew that, that there was no dancing feet attached to praying knees and that there was no place for alcohol in the life of a Christian. And that's kind of the way, that's what I was raised in. And so maybe if you were raised in that, you, you know exactly where I'm coming from. Now, you might be here today and you were raised Presbyterian. You're like, what's the big deal, man? We drank like in the church parking lot. I mean, it's no, no big deal at all, right? Or Episcopalian, they even drink more than Presbyterians do. And so, so it just depends on where you were, what, what your background is, how you were raised. But, uh, but, but here's, here's the thing. I, I really think that there's three groups of people here today. You've got, you've got folks that, that think that, Drinking anything is, is terrible, that you're not supposed to drink. There's no place, no reason a Christian should ever drink alcohol. Then you've got a group of people here that think it's okay to drink alcohol as a believer as long as you don't get drunk. And then I think there's a third group of people here that don't really know what they think. They've heard b- different sides of it. They've read things in the Bible that are kind of confusing, and you don't really know what you think. So what I want to do this morning is if you think it's okay to drink, I want you to move. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna, I'm not going to do that. Just want to know where everybody stands. Um, and so, so what I want to do today is I want us to talk about what, what do we see in the Scripture and, and what, what do we think is the, the proper response for a person who follows Jesus, loves Jesus with all their heart, wants to know, for other people to know Jesus, how should we deal with this question of alcohol? And, and here's, what I, here's what I hope will happen to, today. If you are here and you think that if you eat a piece of wine cake, that Satan is preparing a place at the table of hell for you, or if you're here and and you can't watch a football game without pounding down a six-pack by halftime, 
I hope that I offend both of those groups. Because I think what I'm going to say today, if, if, if you think that all alcohol is wrong, I think I'm going to say some stuff that you're going to say, man, you're way too liberal on that. And then if you're the kind of person that, that you just drink all the time, you're going to think, man, you're being way too judgmental. And I think if I can be offend both of those groups, then I will have said exactly what God wants me to say this morning in regards to Christians and alcohol. So here, here's, a, here's, here's what I, the way I want to approach this. I think there's two realities that we need to deal with. And the first reality that we need to deal with is what do we read in Scripture? What do we read in Scripture? Now, I don't know how much time you've spent reading the Bible, but, but if you look through the Bible, you will see that there's a lot of alcohol being drank, con- drunk, I don't know what the pro- consumed. A lot of people are drinking wine in the Bible, all right? And, and what we talked about last week is we talked about that Hebrews 4.12 says that the, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and that, that that is what should be our determining factor of what is right and what is wrong. It's what the Word of God says. So if we're going to, to figure out, okay, what, what, how does a Christian respond when it comes to drinking alcohol? What does the Scripture say? And like I said, there's a lot of wine being consumed in the, in the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus drank wine. The disciples drank wine. All those guys back then, they drank wine. And so you're trying to figure out, okay, well, what, what does all that mean? Well, well let's, let's look at uh, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is one of the most famous wine passages in all of Scripture. John chapter 2, 1 through 11. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Who's that? Who's Jesus' mother? Anybody know? Mary. All right. Jesus' mother was there, Mary, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I love what Jesus says here. Has anybody ever wondered if Jesus had family problems? You have family problems, and you think you're the only person that ever had family problems? Look at how Jesus responds to his mom here. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. It's like, Come on, Mom. I don't want to make wine today. You know, but she's like, you need to do something about this. And then verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, before we go any further, that right there is, that's the way we should all live our lives. Whatever Jesus tells us, we should do it. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. So they bust out the Mad Dog 2020 after everybody else has drank up, you know, whatever. I don't know any good wine, but other, other stuff. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now let me tell you something. Growing up in the Baptist church, there is a lot of heartburn and consternation that Baptists feel about the fact that Jesus, the very first miracle he ever did is he made wine. 
And people try to figure that out. And what does it mean? Well, let me tell you what I think, what we can see as the facts of this passage right here. First of all, one of the facts is Jesus didn't just make wine. He made a lot of wine. It says there that there were six jars holding between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. So let's say they were all 25 gallons average. Jesus made 150 gallons of wine. It wasn't like he just said, let's put a little bit in this communion cup so that y'all can, we can do the Lord's Supper a few years early before you even know about the, the crucifixion or any of that kind of stuff. No, he made 150 gallons of wine so that this celebration at this wedding could continue. The, the other thing that we know is that the quality of this wine evidently was pretty awesome because the guy who was the master of the banquet comes to the bridegroom and says, listen, you've, this is good stuff. This is better than anything you've been serving all day. And then the last part of the, the, that we can understand from this passage of Scripture is that this wine did have alcoholic content. Because if it didn't, why would the guy say, hey, you bring, most people bring out the stuff after everybody else is drunk, but you're bringing out the good stuff now. He, he was letting him know that we know this is real wine. This is, this is the real deal. And, and one of the things that, that I grew up hearing and maybe that, that you grew up hearing in church is that the wine in the Bible is not real wine, especially the wine Jesus made. I can remember a Sunday school teacher saying, now y'all need to understand when Jesus made this wine, it was like grape juice. And that's what I thought for a long time. till I got old enough to read the Bible myself and I started thinking, people don't get drunk on grape juice, so what, what was the big deal here? Listen, there, the wine in the Bible was, was very much like the wine of today. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, and you remember the story of Noah's Ark, and how you learned that in Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. Well, the, the last part of that story, after the ark lands and they get back on land, it says one of the first things Noah did when getting off the ark is he planted a vineyard, and after he planted that vineyard, when the, when the grapes came in, he made wine from the grapes, and then Noah, he tied a big one on and drank a lot of that wine. And Noah was the kind of guy that when he drank, he liked to take off all his clothes. And he's wandering around the house naked, falls asleep on the bed with no clothes on, and it caused this big problem for one of his sons. And all that started with a vineyard that he grew and that he made the wine so that all the way back at the beginning of time, people understood how to make wine with alcoholic content that could get them drunk. And so when we read in the scripture that it says that, that there was people drinking wine, that not all of that was grape juice. In fact, there's a, there's a reference in Numbers chapter 6 where in the same verse it mentions wine and then it mentions grape juice. So there were two different words. One was used for wine, one was used for grape juice. So I would think that later on in the scripture, if the ones that said wine, if they meant grape juice, they would have said grape juice, but instead it says wine. Because wine in the Bible was the same as wine is today. Now listen, here's, here's, I mean, I say it's the same as wine is today. Obviously, it's impossible for any of us to absolutely know the alcoholic content of wine in the Bible. We just don't have that information. But what we do know is that people could drink wine in the Bible and it would have the same effect on them as drinking too much wine has on people today. And so the wine that Jesus made was no different than that. I heard somebody say one time that, um, that the wine Jesus made was three parts water and one part wine. Now, 
how in the world that guy knew that, I don't know. But here's why I think that's crazy. Three parts water and one part wine. Here's why I think it's crazy. Verse 10 there again, the guy came to the bridegroom and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much drink, but you have saved the best until now. I don't care what you're drinking. If it's coffee, wine, tea, Mountain Dew. If it's three parts water and one part whatever it is, you're not going to think it's the best. I've drank a lot of sweet tea in my day. And if you gave me a glass of sweet tea and you put a quarter of it tea and then you put three quarters of it water, I'm going to tell you, just quit wasting my time. I'm going to go down here to the clock and buy some real sweet tea. Because three quarters water and then one part something, that's not the best. This wine that was in the Old Testament that that Jesus made was real wine. So the first thing that I want you to understand today is this. What we read in Scripture, and I believe that it teaches this from beginning to end, is nowhere in the Bible do you see where it says that drinking alcohol, by just drinking alcohol, is a sin. It's not a sin, according to the Scripture, to just drink alcohol. Now, some of you right now, you're thinking... Sweet, dude, first life group we have, make your own martinis. I cannot wait. And then there's others of you like texting your friends like, hey, beer pong at my place this afternoon. Preacher says it's all good. You know, hold your horses there, Captain Morgan, all right? Because, Because the Bible does have some other stuff to say about alcohol that we can't miss, all right? Uh, this is what else the scripture has to say. So the first thing you need to know is that the scripture doesn't say it's a sin to drink alcohol, but there are verses in the scripture where it talks about drinking too much alcohol. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, the apostle Paul said this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. And maybe you're thinking, cool, man, I'm not a wine man. I'm a beer guy. So everything's all right with that. Well, then look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Again, the Apostle Paul writing this. He says this, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now check out this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right in the middle of this list of all kind of bad stuff, Paul says getting drunk is on the same level as all of these other things that I just mentioned. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink wine, but the Bible is consistent from beginning to end with the teaching that it is wrong to get drunk on wine, beer, any other kind of alcohol, whatever it is that you like to get drunk on, if you're going to drink it and abuse it to the point where you get drunk, that is clearly a sin. Not only does the Bible say that's a sin, but it gives example after example, like the one with Noah that I talked about a while ago, and there's other stories, all kinds of examples where it shows that getting drunk causes all kinds of problems. Now, here's the other thing that I think is interesting about those two verses that I just mentioned. Ephesians 5.18, excuse me, and Galatians 5.19 through 21. Both of them make the point that if you're getting drunk on wine, if that's the way you're living your life, then you are closing the door on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. See what it says in Ephesians 5.18 again? It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
It's saying there that there's a connection there that if you're living your life in such a way as you're always getting drunk, that's what's on your mind. You're closing the door to the work that God wants to do in your life, that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And then you go to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. There's that long list of sins. And at the end, it says drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 22, the next word of there is but... But the fruit of the Spirit is, and so he's making the point that you can live this sinful nature life or you can live your way in such life in such a way as that the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is doing work on you and the fruit of the Spirit is coming out in your life. And it's got the list of the fruits of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says there that if you're living your life in such a way where getting drunk is the way you're living, and that's the way you're abusing alcohol, then you're shutting the door on the Spirit's work in your life and you're saying that you're more interested in satisfying yourself than you are on satisfying the Spirit. So drinking is not a sin, but getting drunk is, which leads us to the second reality. The first reality is what does Scripture say? Here's the second reality that we have to deal with today. Alcohol can control you and destroy your life. Alcohol can control you and destroy your life. Now, there are those of you in here today that could speak more passionately about this than I can. There are those of you in here today who have lived this reality that alcohol can control you and destroy your life. Some of you in here today, you grew up in the home of an abusive and alcoholic parent. You grew up in the home of someone who, when they came home from work, they started drinking, and you knew once they had gotten a few beers into them that it was going to be a violent evening, and it ruined your childhood. And, and some of you have lived that yourself. Some of you have abused alcohol to the point at a, at a past part in your life where you lost marriages, where you lost jobs, where you damaged your relationship with your children and your grandchildren, and you have lived out this reality that alcohol can con control you and destroy your life. And... The very first person that accepted Jesus at this church, Jimmy White, he's here today. And Jimmy told me last week, he said, you can, you can say my name, you can share my story. The very first person that accepted Jesus at, through the ministry of this church was Jimmy White. And when Jimmy came to this church, he had a problem with alcohol. And it was destroying parts of his life. It had ruined a relationship that he had with his son. And it was only through God working in his life and him accepting Christ and beginning to be changed by the Holy Spirit that he was able to leave that behind. And now he has a wonderful relationship with his son, a wonderful relationship with his grandson, and God has redeemed him and restored him. But he lived, he lived that reality of how alcohol can control you, and it can destroy your life. And, and for, for folks like that, if you, if you have been there, you know that it doesn't really matter what what I say about it's not a sin to drink alcohol, you know that you can't go down that path. You know that's not an option for you. There was a friend, another friend of mine, not Jimmy, but, but another friend of mine who was a part of this church, and he had gotten sober, and, and he told me one day, he said that his wife was having a hard time understanding his, his struggles with alcohol, and she said to him one day, she said, I just don't understand why you can't drink a glass of wine with me when we go out to dinner. And he said, 
if I drink a glass of wine with you, I'm going to drink the whole bottle of wine, then I'm going to order another bottle, and I'm going to drink that whole bottle, and pretty soon I'm going to be shutting this place down because I'm going to drink everything they got in the building. And he understood that he had gotten to a point in his life where alcohol had consumed him and controlled him. And it was only through the power of Jesus that he was clean of that, and he was not going to go back to that lifestyle. Now, the, the other the other proof that, that alcohol can, can control your life and, and destroy things is all you got to do is, is read the news. Uh, just about anything crazy that you hear happening, at some point in the article it'll talk about alcohol being involved. I remember a few years ago uh, after the Carolina Clemson game on a Saturday, you know, and it was typical Carolina Clemson game, one team wins, the other team loses, except for 1986 when it ended in a tie. But this year, it was one team won, the other team lost, and the typical way that that happens then afterwards, the team that wins, that fan talks smack to the team that loses fan, and the, the team that loses, that fan gets ticked off at the team that wins fan because they're talking smack, and there's usually an argument, and friendships end, and marriages end over that thing, right? That's the way that goes in this state. Well, that day... These two good old boys were, drink, were, were drinking beer all day, watching the Carolina Clemson game, and at the end of the game, they got to mouthing off, and one dude shot and killed the other guy. Now, you talk about a terrible combination of, of things. Rednecks, guns, the South Carolina Clemson game, and beer. Those things should never be combined together. But where did all that start? Now, I don't know those guys, but I, don't, I, I doubt that if those two guys were stone-cold sober, I don't think that one of them would have shot the other one. But they were at a point in their life, one of them was at least, that where alcohol made them out of control. And so it caused all kinds of problems. And so I, I, would, I would just challenge you today, if you're here uh, listening to this, or if you're listening on a podcast, I would just challenge you that if, if you aren't sure if you have a problem with alcohol or not, if, if you're not sure of whether it really controls your life or not, then I would challenge you to put it down for a month. Just don't do it for a month. See if you can go without it for a month. If you're the kind of person that you can't remember the last time you went to sleep without drinking two glasses of wine before bed, or if you're the kind of person that every time someone calls you and invites you over, your first question is, who's bringing the beer? I got the funnel, you know, whatever it is. If that's you, then, then put it, see if you can put it down for a month just to find out where you are. See, the real question that, that all of us need to ask, whether you drink alcohol or not, is, is what are you depending on to sustain you? What are you depending on to sustain you? If you're depending on alcohol to get you through the work week, if you're depending on alcohol to get you to sleep at night, or if you're depending on alcohol to get you through Thanksgiving with your parents that you dread from the time you leave to the time you go back the next year, that's a problem. See, the only thing that should be sustaining us should be Jesus. The only thing that should be sustaining us is that relationship we have with Him and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And instead of, just remember, like those verses said, instead of living a life of drunkenness, we're supposed to live a life where we're Spirit-filled. Now, let me just say this. There's some of you in here today that are like, yeah, get them, Cliff, those daggum drinkers. I have never 
had a drop of alcohol touch my holy lips. That's what some of you are thinking right now. But you ate like six slices of bacon this morning for breakfast. And you're packing an artery. And you got your cardiologist on standbys for when you have bypass surgery at age 40, right? See, it's not just alcohol that can destroy our lives and control us. It's a lot of things that can destroy our lives and control us. Food can destroy your life and control it. Coffee can be bad. I don't know if it can destroy your life, but if you want to, before you point the finger at somebody that has to drink alcohol every day, why don't you try putting down coffee for a month and watch your wife want to kick you out of the house because of the way you act or whatever it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's your job. Now, don't put your job down for a month. Uh, that's, you know, that's not a good plan. But maybe it's your job that can controls you. You can't remember the last time you went on a real vacation where you didn't call into the office three or four times a day because that place can't operate without you. Your job is controlling your life. See, lots of things can control us. Alcohol is just one of them. The Apostle Paul wrote a, wrote a, a, a book to the Corinthians, a letter to the Corinthians, and there's a verse that he wrote about us being controlled by things. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. We're, we're supposed to live our lives in such a way where we are walking so closely with Jesus that there is nothing else on this earth that can control what we do, control what we think, control where we go. And if it's alcohol for you that is controlling you, then you are mastered by that, and that is a sin. And the Holy Spirit needs to change you and wants to change you, and you've got to begin to make progress in that direction. Now, like I said, there can be other things too. But alcohol has a huge potential to destroy lives if you let it get out of control. Now, I want to I touch on one more thing that didn't really kind of fit in those two realities, but I, I want to hit on this because um, I spent uh, years, 15 years, working with teenagers before we started this church. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't know if I was going to do this or not, but I'm going to do it. If you're under the age of 21, I want you just to stand up right now. If you'll stand up wherever you are, if you're under the age of 21, all right, sweet. The Bible says it's not a sin to drink alcohol, but it's a sin for every single one of you to drink alcohol. No questions asked. And here's why. Because the law of the state of South Carolina, which all of you reside in, if you're here from out of town, I think it's a federal law now, 21 in all the 50 states. The law of the state of South Carolina says that it is illegal for you to drink alcohol under the age of 21. And here's what the Bible says about the laws of the land. The Bible says that the authorities that are put in place here were put in place by God and so that they are His acting authority on earth. So if you think, hey, you know what? I'm almost 21. All my friends are doing it or whatever and you think it's okay for you to drink alcohol, you are rebelling against God and it is a sin for you to drink alcohol. Okay, thanks for standing up. Y'all can sit down. Now, I'm not going to make the parents of these kids stand up, but let me say something even tougher to you as parents. And I've lived in this community long enough 
And I know that this goes on. It's been going on since I moved here. It's going on now. There are some of you as parents that you have decided that it's better to be your child's friend than your child's parent, and you think it's a great idea to just buy the alcohol for them. And for whatever reason, you've, th- you've thought this is a good idea. I want you to understand as a parent of a, of a child under the age of 21, when you buy alcohol for them and hand it to them and say, here, I got this for you so that you can drink it. What you are saying to them is, is that the authority in place here is, is, is no, is, has no authority over you. You're teaching them to disrespect authority and eventually they will disrespect your authority as their parents. The other thing that you need to understand is, is that you are leading them into sin. And you know what Jesus said back in the book of Matthew about people that lead children into sin? Jesus said that those, of, those people that lead their children into sin, it would be better for them to have a big rock tied around their neck and be thrown into the ocean and drowned. That's the words of Jesus, not the words of me. And that is a really bad deal right there. So if you are here and you're thinking, hey, but Cliff, you got to understand, you just don't know the way it is. Your kids are homeschooled, and my kids go to public school, and it's so rough there, and, and they're going to drink anyway, and I just want to provide them a safe and responsible environment for them to drink. I can't think of any situation that involves teenagers and alcohol that could be called safe and responsible. And I know you're like, Cliff, why are you being so hardcore on that? Because I, all my years in youth ministry, it blew my mind, not the, not the parents of kids who weren't in church. I expect that parents of people who aren't in church to, to do things like people who aren't in church do. What blew my mind is people who were involved in church, church leaders, people who said they loved Jesus that were buying alcohol for their kids on the weekend. And letting them drink downstairs while they stayed upstairs and did whatever it was. They were, they were probably upstairs smoking pot. That's probably the deal. It's like, hey, we're going to go you know, fire up a couple of doobies upstairs. Let the kids downstairs drink. They'll never know what's going on. That was probably what was really happening. But it blew my mind. And I want you to know that if that's, if that's what you're doing, you are leading your children into sin. Now, as we finish up here, let me go back to 1 Corinthians six twelve. One more time. Remember, that's when Paul said this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. That part at the beginning is real important when it says everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. We have spiritual freedom. That's the whole basis of what this church is built on is that we want people to come to know Jesus. They have a personal relationship with Jesus. They deal with Jesus. They deal with the Scripture on their own, and they begin to to allow the Holy Spirit to change them and to show them the way they're supposed to live their life. And with that spiritual freedom, you're not going to hear me stand up here and you know say, hey, everybody who gets a tattoo is evil, and if you got a nose ring, you're terrible. I don't care about all that stuff. You're going to hear that at some other church, but you're not going to hear that here. And when it comes to alcohol, what I'm telling you is the Bible says that it's not a sin for you to drink alcohol. But what you have to couple your spiritual freedom with is godly wisdom. And if you are a person 
who, who has struggled with that or whatever, then you've got you've to be wise about these choices. And so here, here's my two challenges to you as, as we get ready to leave here when it comes to this issue of alcohol. The first thing is I want you to be aware of others. Be aware of others. If you're, if you're going to drink, be aware of who you're with. If you've got a friend who just got sober and you invite them over to your house, don't serve wine. Be aware of others. Don't cause them to stumble. Just, and then the second thing is, be aware of yourself. If you've got a family history, your daddy was an alcoholic, his daddy was an alcoholic, from what you can tell from Civil War records, his daddy before him was an alcoholic, it's probably not a good idea for you to be stopping by the liquor store on the way home from work on Friday afternoon. So be aware of yourself. And when it comes to the, the, the part about whether or not you're dependent, I told you to put it down for a month. I'll tell you something else you can do. Ask someone around you that you trust. Now, don't ask your drinking buddies, you know. Hey, do I have a problem with alcohol? No, man, we all do. It's all right. Go ahead, you know. Not talking about that. But if you're, if you're thinking, I don't know, maybe I do have a problem, ask someone that you trust. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your coworkers. And then listen to what they have to say. And then the other question that you ought to ask yourself if you want to talk about being aware of yourself in this issue of alcohol is, is, is that hindering you spiritually? Is that slowing you down spiritually? Is your growth in Jesus slowed because of the fact that you're drinking alcohol? If it's not, great. If it is, then you probably need to make some other plans along with other things. Anything that's hindering you spiritually needs to be changed. See, we need to, we need to, to, um, we need to exercise wisdom in all areas of our life. And here's the great thing about needing to exercise wisdom in all areas of our life. God tells us in his word in the book of James, he says that if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask God for it. And God says that he will give you wisdom, and not only will he give it to you, he'll give it to you generously, and he'll give it to you without finding fault. So as we, as we close up, just think about those things. Think about your own life. Think about how you're going to teach your kids. And just ask yourself, are there things that need to change? Am I everything good? You know, is it something that, that's hindering me, or is it something that I've got no problem with anymore? Uh, or, or, you know, I had a problem with in the past and I know that I need to stay away. Whatever questions you need to answer, you answer those, but I want you to deal with them in light of what the Scripture says. And I want you to deal with them in light of godly wisdom so that you can grow and be the closest follower of Jesus that you can be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your wisdom. And we all need it in every area of our lives. Thank you for the way that, that, uh, that we can have fun this morning, that we can enjoy talking about what your word says. And God, I ask that you would give us all wisdom in every area of our lives and that we would make those choices that glorify and honor you. Help us all to be closer followers of you. Help us all to be filled with your spirit and to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit every day in our lives.
Thank you for giving us good things to enjoy on this earth. And thank you that when you made wine, it was the best wine anybody had ever drank. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.